open them up to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, verses 9 through 11. We'll get there. But uh, boy, it's awesome how the Holy Spirit works because that song that the praise team sang about uh, from 2 Chronicles 7, I'm going to be going into that scripture today. And, and of course, the Holy Spirit laid it upon their hearts. They didn't know that. Scott, did I tell you we were gonna, I was going to preach this? No. But the Holy Ghost knew because the Holy Ghost gave me the message and the Holy Ghost led the praise team. Amen? It's good to know when he's in charge and we're not, right? I've entitled this message today, How to Experience Revival. How to Experience Revival. Now, you know, how many of you in here have been dry spiritually before? You know what I'm talking about, where things are just dull. I mean, it feels like God is so far away. I'm talking to Christians now. I'm not talking to unbelievers. Where, where God just feels so far away. It's just a dry feeling, an empty feeling. The great revivalist, Charles Finney, said, Revival is a renewed conviction of sin and repentance, followed by an intense desire to live in obedience to God. The words revive and revival mean this, to flourish anew, to make alive again, or to regain life. How many of you know sometimes as Christians, if you're, if you're not moving forward with the Lord, what's the only other direction you're going? Come on, I say it all the time, moving back. I said there's no standing still in the life of a Christian. It's either you're moving forward, forward with the Lord or you're moving back. And when you're moving away, that's what I'm talking about, that dry feeling. Amen? Now, so if you're in a backslidden condition and you take no joy in reading the Word of God, you need to be revived. If you find more joy in worldly things more than eternal things, you need to be revived. If you become lukewarm in your spiritual life, you need to experience revival. If you hold more allegiance to a denomination you belong to more than Jesus Christ, you need to experience revival. Oh, come on now. Someone's taking hold of that one. So now, some might say, then revival, to make alive again spiritually, is something that only a Christian can experience and not an unbeliever. After all, an unbeliever can't be made alive or quickened spiritually if they never were to begin with, right? That's what someone might think. Go to Romans chapter 7. I want to show you something from the Word of God this morning. Uh, that it's scriptural to use the word revival in connection with an unbeliever. Come on. I want to pull out a gem from the Word of God this morning. Romans chapter 7. Some of you are looking at me like deer in the headlights. <laughs> Romans 7, verses 9 through 11. It says, For I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it slew me. Now, the Holy Spirit through Paul in verse 9 here, let me read it one more time. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. The Holy Spirit through Paul is telling us that there is a time frame from birth to what theologians call age of accountability. From birth to the age of accountability, which uh, there, there's, uh, that, that individual is without sin. There's a time frame when a child is without sin and alive unto God spiritually until he or she willfully sins against God when they hit that age of accountability. When they know from right, right from wrong. Listen, if young children and babies had any sin, that would mean that they would, they would all go to hell if they died young. Because the Bible is very clear that no sinners will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Follow me now. No sin. sin heaven is totally sinless. Right? Right? Now, I'm talking about the sin nature now. 
So there's a time frame from birth to the age of accountability. You say, well, what's that age of accountability? Only God knows that. Only God knows that. And uh, so, but the word of God is very clear that there is that time frame for a baby to their age of accountability. Look at verse 10. It says, and the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. In other words, the commandment that was meant to bring life, if obeyed, uh, if obeyed, became sin unto him without being born again and equipped to do what's commanded in the word of God. Uh, that is why the Bible says that people who try to get saved by good works uh, only without making Jesus Christ Lord and Savior, they're mer merely accomplishing dead works in their life. Uh, they're not earning any favor with God outside of Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? Salvation begins at the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, uh, look at verse 11 now. It says, For sin, taking, in a, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. It said, he said, sin slew me. Means that when he hit that age of accountability and sinned willfully, sin, sin came and separated him at that point, separated him from God, spiritually speaking. Now, uh, so for those of you who had babies very young uh, and children pass away very young, I want to assure you they are in the presence and arms of God right now. Uh, that also goes for all the children who've been aborted and murdered. See, children are very near and dear to the heart of our Heavenly Father and precious in His sight. Because they are His creation and because of their innocence. So this, Romans chapter 7, 9 through 11 is telling us, hey, there's a time frame here. From birth to that age of accountability that there's that sinlessness within them. When they hit that age of accountability, now they're responsible to make the choice and make Jesus Lord of their life. Do you understand that? Now, uh, so today, so I guess the point I was trying to make with that is the people were alive unto God once. And when they hit that age of accountability, if they didn't make Jesus Lord and Savior of their life, boom, they're separated from God. Then when they get born again, born again, they become alive unto God through the Lord Jesus Christ. So revival, to make alive again, is scriptural to use with an unbeliever. Because at one time they were alive unto God spiritually. Amen? So today I want to share with you four keys that will start a revival at a personal level, a national level, and a worldwide level. These four keys are addressing the Christian. I'll show you why in a moment. But when revival happens within Christians, the fire will take hold of the unbelievers so that they will be compelled, drawn to Jesus Christ to make him Lord of their life. And uh, so these four keys now, they must be accomplished to experience revival. It is not possible to bypass even one of these steps. Not one. All four of these steps must be followed for you to experience revival in your personal life. And the nation. Amen. And at a worldwide level. You can't bypass one of these. If so, if you try to bypass just one of these steps now, you'll be stuck in the same mess that you're in today. Amen. If you're in that backslidden state. So on that note, turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Yes, yes, yes. This was a song that the praise team sung. They gave my sermon away while they're singing. <laughs> Second Chronicles chapter 7. I'm looking at verse 14. Very popular scripture. But I want to break this thing down for you. On how to experience revival. You know, the back of our shirts... The Revival Christian Center shirts, what's it say on the back? Experience revival. Now I want to show you how you can do that. Amen. All right. Listen to this. It says, if my people 
which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Hallelujah. So this scripture, God, boy, when God is giving you points right in a row like that, we need to pay attention. Amen. He's given us some keys here that he wants his people to take hold of. Now, uh, here it is. To experience revival, number one, you must humble yourself. Number two, you must pray. Number three, you must seek God's face. And number four, you must turn from your wicked ways. Now, the reason I said that these keys are for Christians, for believers, is because God said in that scripture, what's it say in the beginning of verse 14? If my people... Well, we know he's not talking to unbelievers because unbelievers are children of the devil. That's what Scripture said. That's what Jesus said, right, in in the book of John. So he said, if my people, which are called by my name, amen. So, uh, but now, of course, an unbeliever can glean important steps from this in coming to Jesus Christ, right? But specifically in the context here, God is speaking to you and I. Christians, believers, amen? Now look at verse 13 real quick. Go one verse up here, and I want to read something to you. It says this. This is God speaking now. He's talking to Solomon here. He said, if I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locust to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people... And then it's a semicolon in my Bible, and it goes and say, if my people which are called by my name. Okay, so here now, the curse of verse 13 will be the result of the sin in your life in failing to do verse 14. Oh, come on now. If you don't do verse 14, you're going to have verse 13, it's saying. And... Look at that. If I shut up heaven and if there be no rain or if I command the locust to devour the land or if I send pestilence among my people. Well, we know that it's not God's will for that to happen. But we know whenever we as believers step outside of the boundaries of God's word, we know he's talking to those who are doing wicked things. He's talking to his people who are in the backslidden condition, right? We are the ones that open the door to the devil, right? Let me say it again. God and Satan, they're not friends. They, they're not partners. Amen? So we are the ones, when we, when we get outside of the will of God, outside of the word, we're on dangerous ground. Now we're out of God's ground and we're standing on Satan's ground. Amen? So, uh, but we know he's talking to those who are do, doing wickedly because he gave us the... Uh, he gave us uh, how to get out of verse 13 by 14. He's saying, turn from your wicked ways, right? So he's talking to those who are doing wicked things, his people who are disobeying him, basically. Amen? Uh, so you see, God's hands are tied from helping you and I if there is unconfessed sin in our life. That's just a principle from the word. You're not going to get around it. He's not going to bend the rules just for you. Amen? He set rules and principles into action on this earth, and we are expected to follow them. And he's empowered us to follow his rules because he put the Holy Spirit inside of us to obey and live a righteous life on this earth, right? Now, look at Ecclesiastes 10 verse 8. Ecclesiastes 10 verse 8 kind of hammers home the point of what I'm talking about today. How we are the ones that go outside and open ourselves up to the thief. John 10.10, the devil. Amen? To an attack. Uh, I want you to see this for yourself. I had it typed out, and I was going to read it for you, but I want you to see it for yourself. Because this is a very important scripture with a very important principle for Christians. Are you there? Say amen. All right. Ecclesiastes 10.8 says this. He that digs a pit shall fall into it. And whoso breaks a hedge, a serpent shall bite him. Whoa. So now the Holy Ghost here, God is giving us a clue. He's given us a warning now. 
He said, hey, if, if you're going to dig yourself a pit by sinning, guess what? That pit you're digging, you're going to fall into it. He said, if you're going to live outside of my word, you're going to break a hedge. What's the hedge? The hedge is a protective thing that goes around the Christian. Hallelujah. The presence of God. Amen. And that hedge is talking about protection. And it says that we can actually break that hedge. We can put a hole in that hedge. And it says if we do that, the serpent or the enemy, evil spirits can come in, have a legal right, and they're going to bite us. Because sin, unconfessed sin in a Christian's life is a legal right for him to come in. You're just opening the door. You're breaking that hedge. And we know that that serpent that, is, that the word's talking about is the enemy because Jesus said this. He said, behold, I give unto you power to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. In Luke 10, 19, he's talking about the enemy, our spiritual enemy. So we know that we are the ones that open the door to the enemy. Amen? I mean, I hear so many Christians sometimes who just don't know they don't know any better. They don't know what the word says. And they're saying, God, why are you doing this to me? Why am I having this hard time in my life? God's not doing it. He wants to bless you. But he can only bless you when you're living your life according to his word. Anything outside of that, you're on the devil's territory now. Not, not by the choice of God, but he set principles into motion on this earth. Amen. If we don't follow him, there's consequences. Amen. So with that in mind, I want to expound on these four points. Let's all of us here discover how we can experience revival. The first key on how to experience revival is that we must humble ourselves. We need to get all pride out of our life. Amen? Pride says this, I can do it on my own apart from God. It says, I can do it better than God can. I can do it better than what the Word of God says. Ooh, that's what pride says. Pride was the very sin that got Lucifer and the angels that followed him evicted from heaven, evicted from the presence of God. And if you have pride in your heart this morning as a Christian, the manifest presence of God and all the benefits such as joy and peace will be lacking in your life as a Christian. Uh-uh. There is no way the presence of God is going to stay around a person who has pride in their heart. He won't do it. Pride is sin. Amen? Hallelujah. Now, humility now. The Bible says in there, that verse, humble yourselves. Humility says, I cannot do it on my own. And I'm going to yield to God's way of doing things. That's what humility says. Uh, it's giving up your own will for God's will. Amen? Now, go to 1 Peter 5.8. I want to show you something here. I'm talking about humility, humbling yourself. Hallelujah. We need to humble ourselves. Amen. Hallelujah. And by the way, it's not humility to say, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, if you're a Christian, you're a born again saint. You're not a sinner anymore. Does that mean you, you're never going to sin? No, I'm not saying that. But when we refer to someone as a sinner, we're talking about that sin nature, the sin nature that's in them. And once you become born again, that sin nature is washed away out of your spirit, man. You're no longer a sinner. So, but as long as you're going to call yourself a sinner, you're going to go in that direction. Come on now. Come on now. We need to, we need to stay focused on the Word of God. Amen? Amen. If you're a Christian, you're a born-again saint child of the living God. Amen? Can I get an amen out of that? Amen. Come on now. I know it's morning. I know you're hungry, but stick with me now. We'll get through this together. Hallelujah. Now, 1 Peter 5, 8. Oh, I'm sorry. 1 Peter 5, verse 5 through 8. Listen to this. I'm talking about humility now, humbling ourselves. It says, likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. 
Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. There's humility. For God resists the proud. Now, let me tell you something. This is not being written to unbelievers here. This is written to Christians. This is written to Christians. Amen. And so he's saying, he's saying, I will resist the proud. So if there's pride in your heart, he's going to resist you. He's not, you're not going to feel the presence of God. You're not going to feel the joy of the Lord in your heart. Amen. Says there's pride there. You're going to push me away, God's saying, and I'm going to resist you. But it says, be clothed with humility. Listen to this. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Grace. What's grace? God's unmerited favor. Amen. Hallelujah. You need a little more grace. You need some favor in your life. Check your humility walk this morning. Now look at this. Verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all of your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Now, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. It's interesting that in the same context of God saying, I'm going to resist the proud. If you're proud, I'm going to resist you. It's interesting how it says in verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. In other words, those who open the door to him. He's going he's gonna to take every opportunity to get through that door and attack you. Interesting, that's in connection with pride. Amen? But also, it says in verse 6 here, in 7, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty head of God, that he may exalt you. Well, what's part of that humility? Verse 7 goes on to say, what's part of humility? Casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. God is saying, you're being humble when you stop trying to figure things out in your own mind and you cast your cares to me. Instead of you being anxiety-ridden and burdened with all of the, the junk of the world. He said, cast your cares onto me. That's humility. Part of humility. Do you understand that? So casting your cares upon the Lord, trusting in him is considered humility. Amen. Now, go to Isaiah 57. Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 15. Isaiah 57, verse 15. Hallelujah. We need to humble ourselves. That's the very first thing we need to do if you want to experience revival. We need to humble ourselves. Isaiah 57, 15 says this, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. Notice, dwell with him. God's going to dwell with you who has a humble spirit. And it goes on to say, to revive the spirit of the humble. Oh, to revive, to make anew, to bring new life, to regenerate you. That peace and joy you were lacking is now going to come back. Humility, humility will draw that back. It says, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones, the ones that are broken. The ones who finally figured out, I can't make it on my own. Amen. God, I can't figure this problem out on my own. God, I can't get over this bondage in my life on my own. I need your help. You're casting your cares upon the Lord. That's called humility. It's yielding your will to God's will. Amen. Hallelujah. Pride is what keeps people at their seats when they feel the unction of the Holy Spirit telling them to go forward on an altar call. Come on now. Have you ever had that? Boy, we're in here. We got some, all the anointings flowing. The music is flowing. You're standing up, and I'm giving an altar call. And, and 
And uh, you, you can just feel the Holy Ghost. Oh, ooh, he's pricking your heart. He's telling you to go forward. Oh, you're even kind of rocking forward a little bit, you know. I mean, oh, my goodness. You know you're supposed to go up there, but you stay in your seat. And you miss out on the blessing that God had for you that day. Pride is what keeps people in their seat at an altar call. Because they, they're wondering, what am I going to look like when... You know, I, I'm supposed to be this Christian who's all made up. I'm, I'm supposed to be this mighty Christian. I'm not supposed to have any flaws in my life. So what I do is I dress up real nice on Sunday, and I come into church, and I put a big smile on my face. But at the same time, suicidal thoughts are running through your mind all week. Bondage, bondage, bondage written all over you. And when the Holy Ghost prompts me to give an altar call and you know you're supposed to go, Sorry, I, 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 people aren't supposed to know that I'm human. People aren't supposed to know that I have hurts and wounds. Think about it. Humility says, I don't care what I look like. I don't care what my flesh is telling me. I'm going to obey God. I want my blessing. Amen. Hallelujah. So number one, we must humble ourselves. Number two, the second key on how to experience revival is that we must have a personal relationship with God as Christians through prayer. Humble yourselves and pray, that scripture says, number two. Go to Jeremiah 29, 11. Jeremiah 29, verses 11 through 13. Come on, people. There's too many Christians who are playing church instead of being the church. Come on now. We know you have weaknesses. Amen? We need to drop our guard down. Until you do that, it's just going to be a ritual to you. Going to church on Sunday, going to services. It's simply just going to be a ritual to you. Amen. And you twart, totally thwart the plan of God that he has for you on this earth because of pride. Don't get caught into the pride trap of the devil. Jeremiah 29, 11, verses through 13. Listen to this. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me. When? Underline this last part. When you shall search for me with all your heart. God is looking for a people who's going after him with their whole heart. Totally sold out for him. Totally, totally sold out to him. And you know, all of these points have a common thread. Because when you seek God with your whole heart, humility is in there. Humility is in there too. You see what I'm saying? So it's a common thread here. But I'm pulling some things out. So now, when you shall search for me with all your heart, wholehearted. Have you ever started praying you know, you, you said, okay, I'm going to go off to, on my own and I'm going to pray. You take the word of God in the bedroom, close the door, and, and you sit on the bed. Boy, you close your eyes now. You're getting ready to talk to your heavenly father. And all of a sudden, thoughts come into your mind about everything you need to do that day. Oh, come on now. Come on. Who am I speaking with here? I don't know. Amen. Who do you think is planting those thoughts in your mind? Who's trying to pull you away from your prayer closet? You betcha. The enemy. Satan and demonic spirits. Satan and evil spirits know the power that's in prayer. They know that your revival hinges on prayer. And they will stop at nothing to try. And I say try to hinder you in your prayer life i say try because the devil can't make you do anything 
You give your will to him. That's when you fall back. You understand that? What is it, Flip Wilson? The devil made me do it? No. No, no, no. Now, he can throw those thoughts and he can, you know, he can throw those thoughts and, and, and all those things, the attacks in the mind. But ultimately, when you give into it, it's your free will. If it wasn't, if it was the devil who made you do it, God would hold the devil responsible for your sin and not you for your own sin. Think about it. Woo! Glory to God. Think about that. I didn't even have that in my notes. That's a free nugget this morning. <laughs> Hallelujah. Wholehearted prayer is the gasoline that is thrown on the fires of revival. The gasoline that is thrown on the fires of revival. In fact, all revivals on this earth have been sparked by prayer. Whether it's personal, national, or worldwide revival, prayer was the common thread in every single one. Show me a revival, and I'll show you people who were committed to pray wholeheartedly, seeking the Lord. Totally sold out. God's looking for a people who sold out. Time is too short. He's not messing around. Are you? Are you messing around? Time is too short. So in prayer, you are acknowledging God as your source. And that's why I say there's a common thread where humility fits right into that with prayer. Look at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Very popular scripture. Proverbs chapter 3. Uh, verses 5 and 6. It says this. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. There it is. Wholeheartedness. Don't come to him half-hearted. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not unto your own understanding. There's pride and humility right in that one scripture. Amen. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. There, that's humility. And lean not unto your own understanding. If you're leaning on your own understanding, there's pride. Verse 6, in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. You know, it seems such like, that's such a simple scripture. Oh, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. You think, yeah, that's a no-brainer, right? But how many times do we get caught up in the everyday schedules of life, and we don't call out to God? We don't acknowledge him. Life gets so busy, doesn't it? But we need to make a conscious effort to acknowledge him. What is it talking about, acknowledge him? It's talking about calling out to him in prayer. It's talking about in your problems, confessing his word, speaking his word over your situation. Because you're acknowledging him. Him and his word cannot be separated. Amen? So when you're acknowledging his word, you're acknowledging God. Because it's the word of God. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, uh, show me a great revival, Azusa Street, Pen uh, Pensacola, Brownsville revival, all of these, the Smith and Outpouring revival in, in Missouri, Toronto. Come on now, I'll show you a group of people who are committed to prayer and God honored their prayers. Mm, hallelujah. Go to James 1.5. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. James chapter 1, verse 5. I'm talking about acknowledging God now. I'm talking about calling unto him. I'm talking about praying to him. I'm talking about humbling yourself and seeking him, praying to him. Listen to this. It says, if any of you, talking to Christians, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. That giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not her. He doesn't hold back, and it shall be given to him. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally. If you, there it is, if you have a problem in your life, acknowledge him. God, I need wisdom. Heavenly Father, I need wisdom in this situation. Please give it to me. We have a promise in the word right there that says if you call out to him and you ask for that wisdom it says he will not hold back and he will give it to you it might you might not get it right at that very second 
but you can walk away from that prayer and know that your answer is on its way. Maybe it will come right when you ask him. Maybe he'll be dispatched that second. Maybe not. The, the, the thing is, do you trust him enough to know that that answer is coming because you acted on the word and he promised it? That's the question. Do you trust him enough or are you getting all anxiety ridden? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Amen? So we need to pray. The third key on how to experience revival is that we must seek God's face. That's number three in that Second Chronicles 14. We must seek God's face. Now I want you to notice, come on, that it doesn't say to seek the hand of God or what he can do for you. Notice it said seek his face. Doesn't say anything about his hand of what he can give to you. There's, there's too many selfish Christians on this earth. Amen? But it says, seek God's face. Now, as I was studying for this message, boy, it became so clear to me. I said, face? God, God well, why did you say face in there? Oh, my, my, listen to this. I said, why did you say face? And all of a sudden, the, the, the Holy Ghost gave me a vision of a face, and, and the eyes were illuminated, uh, the nose and the mouth came out i said all right all right holy ghost i know you're trying to show me something now and this is what he gave me now i'm sure it, it could mean a lot of other things too but this is what he revealed to me on this por portion here the eyes we seek god's face by being led by his spirit and going in the way that he directs in fact in psalms listen to me god said that he would guide us with his eye seek his face the eyes, of course, are on the face. And so he said, I will guide you with my eye. In other words, he's going to guide us according to his view of your situation. Has the Holy Ghost ever led you to do something that was totally against what your plan was? Yeah. Amen. Because God's wisdom is greater than our wisdom. So we seek God. Seek the face of God by being led by him and finding out the way he wants us to go. I, I said it's almost like an air traffic controller. You know, we have a situation, a problem going on, and God sees the whole picture on the radar screen, right? All we can see is what, what we can see from ground level, but he's looking at a radar. And when he tells you to turn your airplane to the right, and you don't see why he's, he's like, you're like, what is, that don't make sense. What do you mean God turned to the right? I see clear blue skies here. What, what you're not seeing is, is just over the horizon is a 747 coming right up on you. And there's going to be a midair collision. We seek the face of God by seeking his way, getting his direction on a situation. Amen. Amen. Number two, the nose was illuminated, was illuminated to me. We seek God's face now in prayer, and I just talked about that, but interesting thing. The Lord led me to Revelation 5.8, and that says that the, the prayers of the saints are like odors unto God. We seek the face of God by praying. And the mouth, we seek God's face when we read, study, and live by his word. And in, in it's interesting, in Matthew 4, 4, Jesus said to the devil, he made this statement, he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Eyes, nose, and mouth. Now, there's probably, the Holy Ghost can probably bring up so much more of what the face of God means, and praise God for that, but this is what he wanted me to share with you about seeking the face of God. Amen? Hallelujah. Now, the last key on how to experience revival is that we as Christians, come on, the last portion, we must turn from any and all of our wicked ways. Now, it's interesting, you can underline the word turn turn why is that so important because it's talking about repentance it's talking about repent to repent means to make a 180 degree turn from the direction you were going so if you're a backslidden christian and you're going in the ways of sin repentance says 
I'm turning 180 degrees and I'm going the other way toward God. Amen? Because going toward sin is going away from God. Repentance is going back toward God. Amen? And it's interesting how it says, turn from your wicked ways. Repentance. If you messed up, acknowledge it. And right here, Proverbs 28, 13. Go there. I want to show you this. I'm getting ready to finish up here. Proverbs 28, verse 13. It says, He that covers his sins shall not prosper, shall not succeed, shall not be successful. But whoso confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. Notice that there's a two-step process. I mentioned it before, and I'm going to say it again. Can't hear it too much. We are commanded to confess and forsake our sins. And then it goes on to say, them shall they shall have mercy. Those who do, the Christians who do that. So let's say you messed up. You messed up and you knew it. You just blew it, boy. You missed the mark. That's what sin is. It means you missed the mark. Okay, you just blew it. You missed the bullseye. And you know it. It says here to confess your sin. What does the word confession mean? It means to agree with. It, God wants you to know that you've sinned, and he wants you to agree that you did. What would hold a Christian back from not confessing it or agreeing that they sinned? Pride. There's humility again, common thread through these four. So now, God says, hey, yeah, I'm God. I know everything. I know where you messed up, but I want you to agree with it. I want you to confess it. Amen? But then he goes to say, I want you to forsake that sin. Don't go back to it. And that's repentance, turning from it. Amen? And it says, they shall have mercy. Now, let me check something here. I want to pull something else out, I think, here. Okay, 1 John 1.9. 1 John 1.9, someone needs to hear this this morning. It's going to be a blessing to you. When I heard it down in Bible school, it blessed my socks off. Amen. And I want to share it with, with you guys today because I feel someone needs to hear this. It's not in my notes, but I want to share it with you. Uh, 1 John 1 verse 9. Hallelujah. I'm talking about confessing and forsaking your sin. Don't go back to it. As Proverbs said, it's like a dog going to his own vomit. Right? Once you get rid of it, flush it. <laughs> Amen? Turn from it. Glory to God. Now, 1 John 1 9. It says this, if we, who's we? Christians. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Say amen. amen. Now, someone needs to hear this right now. That scripture, when you act on that scripture, it creates a fact, not a feeling. When you act on that scripture as a Christian, when you missed the mark and you knew it, you blew it. Mm. You feel terrible. When you confess it and you forsake that thing, God throws it in the deepest part of the sea. So why are you trying to bring it up again? When you act on that scripture, you confess it, you forsake it, it will create a fact, not a feeling. What's so significant about that? Because so many Christians live a life of condemnation from their past that they already confess to God and move forward. Amen? Uh, so it creates a fact. God has forgiven you. Now forgive yourself and move on. Amen? But the devil would love for you to stay in your own little a sulking party. Amen? Because he knows it hinders you. It hinders your boldness in the gospel when you're constantly feeling condemned. Right? When you feel like you missed it and, and, and you're just holding on to that thing. Well, don't go deep sea fishing and try to pull it back up when God's already sealed it down in the lake. Hallelujah! Get rid of it. So you messed up. Get up again. Amen. Now, so it creates a fact, not a feeling. So don't expect, once you do that, 
A lot of times you're still going to feel it because that's your own heart. That's your own self trying to, you know, your own fleshly mind trying to keep you in that bondage. Amen? Now, so we confess and forsake and they shall have mercy. And uh, any, I said it before, anything that is outside the boundaries of God's word is considered wicked. Right? Sin. Anything outside of the word. Amen. Now, uh, so anything that's not pleasing to God must be thrown out of our lives immediately. I said immediately. Amen. Take a spiritual inventory of your life and be honest with yourself. Be honest with God. He knows your faults. Amen. You know, isn't it so stupid sometimes when, when we try to hide things from God? Oh, come on. Let's get real here. We're talking about God Almighty, our Creator. He knows everything about us. But we need to take a spiritual inventory of our life and be honest with ourselves and God. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says that we are to examine ourselves whether we are in the faith. In other words, whether you're inside the bounds of God's word. Did you step outside of, outside of the boundaries of God's word? Or are you still in it? That's what it's saying. It's saying we're to examine ourselves. And don't make excuses for the sin in your life. Excuses are nothing more than pride wrapped up in a different word. A person with excuses is simply trying to justify their sin. And you're going to be in a backslidden condition and, and uh, it's just bad news. It's bad news. Amen? Don't go that far. Don't go there. Um, so that's why God requires us to confess or agree that we have sinned against him and forsake him. Uh, my last scripture here is 1 Peter 4, 17. Are you getting blisters on your fingers yet? Hallelujah. Come on, let's face it. It's only the word of God that can change us. I could sit here and talk till I'm blue in the face, but if I'm not speaking the word of God to you, I'm not going to impact anyone for Jesus Christ. Amen? It's the word. Word of God. 1 Peter 4.17. Are you there? All right, listen to this. For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if, if it first begins at us, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? It says that judgment must begin at the house of God. Or judgment starts in believers. Now what's that talking about? It's talking about examining yourself. It's saying, you know what? If you're going to constantly rebel against God, judgment's going to start inside the house of God. Inside the body of Christ before the world. Now that's pretty stringent, isn't it? Why? Why is that? Why does judgment begin in the house of God? Well, we as Christians set the spiritual temperature on this earth. Come on, let me say that again. We as Christians set the spiritual temperature on this earth. That is why it's so important to stay filled with the Spirit. Think about it. If this earth was full of backslidden Christians... Do you think any unbeliever would want to come to God? Would want to come to Jesus Christ? That's what I'm saying. We set the temperature. And that's why it's so important. Revival always begins in the church first. Come on. You're not going to see a revival sparked on the streets of New York City with a whole bunch of sinners out there. Revival's just not going to slap them in the face. It takes a Christian to be the catalyst to start the fire of revival. That's why revival begins. That's why judgment begins in the house of God. Because we are instrumental on this earth as Christians. We are instrumental. Have you ever heard the, the, the saying that God doesn't need you? God doesn't need us Christians. Yes, he does. Because God's not going to come off of his throne in heaven. Jesus is not going to come off of his throne in heaven and start preaching the gospel. In fact, angels aren't even supposed to preach the gospel on this earth. Remember, an angel led, who was it? Oh, man. Was it Cornelius? Or, it led Cornelius to, uh, to huh? To, yes, thank you. Led Cornelius to Peter and said, this man is going to show you the way to salvation. Well, why couldn't the angel? The angel knew about Jesus dying on the cross. The angel knew all the way to salvation. 
but angels are not even commissioned to preach the gospel. We as Christians are, and that's why we set the spiritual temperature on this earth. God needs you. God needs me. God needs the body of Christ. In fact, it says that Jesus Christ is the head, and we are the body. Have you ever seen a head move by itself? No, it takes the body to move. We're the body. We're the arms. We're the feet. We're the, we're the mouthpiece. We're the body of Christ. If we don't move, God doesn't move. If we don't give God something to increase, 1 Corinthians 3, 6, for we are laborers together with God. Amen? Now, uh, so when, it, when the revival begins in the church, in Christians, it will motivate uh, Christians to proclaim the gospel, and it will draw unbelievers to Jesus. So if you will put these four keys into action in your life, if you humble yourself, pray, seek God's face, and repent or turn from your wicked ways, God said that he would hear from heaven. Now, that always stunned me. I was like, God, does that mean you don't hear? You can't hear if we're in backslidden condition? No, it's not saying that. What he's saying is your prayers will be effective. Your prayers will be effective. He says he would hear from heaven. He will forgive your sin. And he will heal your land. Notice the order. He will hear from heaven, forgive your sin. The forgiveness comes before the healing. I know Brother Wayne brought that up to you the other day. Forgiveness always comes before the healing. Amen. And this can be done at a personal level, national level, and worldwide level. If these principles will be put into action Get ready to catch the fire of the Holy Ghost. Amen. God will heal every area of your life, every area of our nation, and we will experience revival. Let's stand in this place. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Glory to God. You're awesome, Lord God. We just thank you so much for your word that, Lord, this is not a mystery to us. You've given us what the boundaries are. It's not a guessing game. But now, maybe there's some in here. Maybe there's someone in here who has never made Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life. I'm speaking to you right now. you got to come through the only door of salvation. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life, today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. I want you to come forward to this altar because, friend, you don't know how, how long you have left on this earth. You could walk out of this church, get in that car, go on the expressway and get in a car accident, killed, boom, game over. Because it's appointed unto man once to die and then judgment. Your only opportunity to be saved is on this earth. So if you want to receive Jesus, if you need to, I want you to come forward. Number two, maybe there's someone in here that you've been a Christian for a while and and you you to put on the show like what I talked about but you backslidden you've fallen away you know it and you need to rededicate your life to the Lord Jesus Christ today today's that opportunity if you're feeling the unction of the Holy you know who you are and you know you need to come forward take that roadblock of pride down and obey the Holy Ghost and get up here and I want to pray with you to rededicate your life to the Lord hallelujah if you've never received the baptism in the Holy Spirit Jesus said in Acts 1 8 but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you you see when you get born again the Holy Spirit comes into your spirit and makes you a brand new creature in Christ but the baptism in the Holy Spirit is a second experience where the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've never received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, I want you to come forward and I want to pray with you to receive the precious baptism in the Holy Spirit. And lastly, maybe you're in this place and, and you have a sickness or a disease in your body. Maybe you have a sickness even in your mind, emotionally. You need a prayer for healing. You need a miracle in your life. You need someone to come in agreement with you for prayer. I want you to come down to this altar. And if that's any of you, I want you, if you come down, just to lift your hand so I know you want me to pray with you today. 
Other than that, I'm just going to open this altar up. And if you're committed, you want to, revival to be sparked in you. You want revival to be sparked in this country, in this world for Jesus Christ. And you're committed to be a revivalist, to proclaim Jesus to the nation, to the world, to the city that you live in. I just want to open this up for you just to talk to God yourself and commit to Him. my hand on him. He won't let me take it off. Isn't that sweet? Hallelujah. He's got a fever. Look at that.
Has your heart been changed by the revelation that God has given you in His Word? Thank you. Our respond to your revelation. Thank you. All you are showing, all we have seen, commands a life of Hallelujah. He wants blessing for His children, blessing for His kids. Amen. Right there, ready to lead you in paths of righteousness. The Bible says, for his sake. Why for his sake? Because he loves to bless his children. Hallelujah. And it grieves them when we're outside of that blessing. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Wonderful presence of God is in this place. Amen. Well, I trust the Holy Ghost has touched you. And uh, Wednesday night, uh, come on back 7 o'clock for the John Bevere video series. Watch a half-hour video, and then we have a little discussion afterwards for those of you who haven't been here. Uh, other than that, you all have a blessed week. Now, a quick uh, uh, announcement here on the building. I'm sure, is anyone wondering about the building? All right, all right. Well, here you go. Um, everything so far, we agreed on terms for the building, the selling price, interest rate, and all this. It's going to be, we're looking at doing a land contract. And we're just waiting on Trinity's board to vote on it. In fact, the board should be voting today, I thought. And then maybe Wednesday or next Sunday, their congregation votes on it. If it passes both of them, we got the green light. It's a done deal. On Monday, pray for myself and Bill, our treasurer, because Bill and I are meeting with Trinity's treasurer tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. And they're, because it's a land contract, they just want to look over our financials. Amen? Just like if we went to a bank. Bank would want to see, hey, what do you got, you know? So we're going to talk with them, and uh, so that's where we're at right now. We're, we're just waiting on the board to vote at Trinity and the congregation to say, done deal, and we close on it probably in two to three weeks, I imagine. So, and then we got some work to do in there. Who's going to be helping us clean that place? Amen. Who's going to be uh, faithful and help us out? Uh, 
so we're, we have to put in a sound system in there and stuff. So we got a little work to do once we get in, but we're excited to do it. Amen? What a step. What a step of faith. I tell you what, God's going to bless it. We're going to see many people set free in Jesus' name. Come to the Lord. Amen? Visitors, thanks for coming today. You're a blessing. Come on back. See us again. Have a great week.